Good morning. If you have your Bibles, will you join me in the book of 1 Kings chapter 2? Well, by now, you probably know I'm going to start this by saying we've been looking at the story of God and his good creation and how man's bad choices brought all of creation into darkness, brought death and ruin to creation. And God started a plan to redeem his creation. And we've been looking at that story. We've looked at that story in Genesis with Abraham and how God changed him from a- his name from Abram to Abraham and how in chapter 12 of Genesis he made promises to him that he was going to increase him and bless him, make his descendants like the sand on the shore of the sea, and that through him he would bless and redeem all of creation. And we've been looking at that story and we looked about how God took that family, took them into Egypt and brought them out of Egypt no longer as a family but as a nation. And how he brought that nation into the promised land and established them there as a kingdom. And most recently, we looked at kind of how the kingship got started first in the person of Saul, who was not, uh, in the end, did not measure up as king, and how he was replaced with David, who found favor with the Lord. And then we've looked at some of David's shortcomings. And now we're going to come to. David's son Solomon, and we, we, we looked at Bathsheba last week, we, the story with Bathsheba last week, and Solomon is actually going to be uh, the son of Bathsheba and David, so out of that flawed union is going to come this next king, and this is, this is going to be the line of the Messiah, so one of the things we're going to see over and over through this story is that really messed up situations are, are still used by God to bring about his Messiah, that God is very comfortable working with imperfect tools um, because if he weren't, he wouldn't have anything to work with. Um, When you need a perfect person, when he needed a perfect person, he got one. There was one perfect person, his son, and that was enough. But everybody else he worked with really, really, really messed up. So we're going to read a little bit about that today. So we're in 1 Kings chapter 2. We're going to read chapters 2 and 3 today. When the time drew near for David to die, he gave a charge to Solomon his son. I am about to go the way of all the earth, he said. So be strong, act like a man, and observe what the Lord your God requires. Walk in obedience to him and keep his decrees and his commands, his laws and regulations as written in the law of Moses. Do this so that you may prosper in all you do and, wh- and wherever you go and all and that the Lord may keep his promise to me for your descendant for if your descendants watch how they live, if they walk faithfully before me with all their heart and soul, you will never fail to have a successor on the throne of Israel. Now you yourself know what Joab, son of Zariah, did to me, what he did to the two commanders of Israel's army. Armies, Abner son of Ner and Amsa son of Jether. He killed them, shedding their blood in peacetime as if in battle. And with that blood, he stained the belt around his waist and the sandals on his feet. Deal with him according to your wisdom, but do not let his gray head go down to the grave in peace. But show kindness to the sons of 
Barzillai of Gilead, and let them be among those who eat at your table. They stood by me when I fled from your brother Absalom. And remember, you have with you Shammai, the son of Gera, the Benjamite from Bahurim, who called down bitter curses on me the day I went to Mahanaim. When he came down to meet me at the Jordan, I swore to him by the Lord, I will not put you to death by the sword, but now do not consider him innocent. You are a man of wisdom, and you know what to do to him. Bring his gray head down to the grave in blood. Then, Dave rested, then David rested with his ancestors and was buried in the city of David. He had, re, he had reigned 40 years over Israel, seven years in Hebron, and 33 in Jerusalem. So Solomon sat on the throne of his father David, and his rule was firmly established. Now Adonijah, the son of Haggath, went to Bathsheba, Solomon's mother. Bathsheba asked him, do you come peacefully? He answered, yes, peacefully. Then he added, I have something to say to you. You may say it, she replied. As you know, he said, the kingdom was mine. All Israel looked to me as their king. But things changed, and the kingdom has gone to my brother, for it has come to him from the Lord. Now I have one request to make of you. Do not refuse me. You may make it, she said. Please ask King Solomon, he will not refuse you, to give me Abishag the Shunammite as my wife. Very well, said Bathsheba. Bathsheba replied, I will speak to the king for you. When Bathsheba went to King Solomon to speak to him for Adonijah, the king stood up to meet her, bowed down to her, and sat down on his throne. He had a throne brought for the king's mother, and she sat down at his right hand. I have one small request to make of you, she said. Do not refuse me. The king replied, Make it, my mother. I will not refuse you. She said, Let Abishag the Shunammite be given in marriage to your brother Adonijah. King Solomon answered his mother, why do you request Abishag, the Shunammite, for Adonijah? You may as well request the kingdom for him. After all, he's my older brother. Yes, for him and for Abiathar, the priest, and Joab, the son of Zariah. Then King Solomon swore by the Lord, May God deal with me, be it ever so severely, if Adonijah does not pay for, with his life for this request. And now, as surely as the Lord lives, he who has established me securely on the throne of my father, David, and has founded a dynasty for me, as he promised, Adonijah shall be put to death today. So King Solomon gave orders to Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, and he struck down Adonijah, and he died. To Abiathar the priest, the king said, Go back to your fields in Anathoth. You deserve to die, but I will not put you to death now, because you carried the ark of the sovereign Lord before my father David, and shared in all my father's hardships. So Solomon removed Abiathar from the priesthood of the Lord, fulfilling the word the Lord had spoken at Shiloh about the house of Eli. When the news reached Joab, who had conspired with Adonijah, though not with Absalom, he fell to the tent of the Lord and took hold of the horns of the altar. King Solomon was told that Joab had fled to the tent of the Lord and was beside the altar. Then Solomon ordered Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, go strike him down. So Benaiah entered the tent of the Lord and said to Joab, the king says, come out. But he answered, no, I will die here. Then Benaiah reported to the king, this is how Joab answered me. Then the king commanded Benaiah, do as he says, strike him down and bury him. And so clear me and my whole family of the guilt of the innocent blood that Joab shed. The Lord will repay him for the blood he shed, because without my father David knowing it, he attacked two men and killed them with the sword, both of them, Abner son of Ner, commander of Israel's army, and Amsa son of Jether, commander of Judah's, Judah's army, were better men and more upright than he. 
May the guilt of their blood rest on the head of Joab and his descendants forever. But on David and his descendants, his house and his throne, may there be the Lord's peace forever. So Beniah, the son of Jehoiada, went up and struck down Joab and killed him, and he was buried at his home in the country. The king put Beniah, the son of Jehoiada, over the army in Joab's position and replaced Abiathar with Zadok the priest. Then the king sent for Shammai and said to him, Build yourself a house in Jerusalem and live there, but do not go anywhere else. The day that you leave and cross the Kidron Valley, you can be sure you will die. Your blood will be on your own hand, head. Shammai answered the king, What you say is good. Your servant will do as my lord the king has said. And Shammai stayed in Jerusalem for a long time. But three years later, two of Shammai's slaves ran off to Achish, the son of Makkah, the king of Gath. And Shammai was told, Your slaves are in Gath. At this he saddled his donkey and went to Achish at Gath in search of his slaves. So Shammai went away and brought the slaves back from Gath. When Solomon was told that Shammai had gone from Jerusalem to Gath and had returned, the king summoned Shammai and said to him, Did I not make you swear by the Lord and warn you on the day you leave to go anywhere else you can be sure you will die? At that time you said to me, What you say is good, I will obey. Why then did you not keep your oath to the Lord and obey the command I gave you? The king also said to Shammai, You know in your heart all the wrong you did to my father David. Now the Lord will repay you for all your wrongdoing, but King Solomon will be blessed, and David's throne will remain secure before the Lord forever. Then the king gave the order to Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, and he went out and struck Shammai down, and, and he died. The kingdom was now established in Solomon's hands. Solomon made an alliance with Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and married his daughter. He brought her to the city of David until he finished building his palace and the temple of the Lord and the wall around Jerusalem. The people, however, were still sacrificing at the high places because a temple had not yet been built for the name of the Lord. Solomon showed his love for the Lord by walking according to the instructions given him by his father David, except that he offered sacrifices and burned incense on the high places. The king went to Gibeon to offer sacrifices, for that was the most important high place. And Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream, and God said, Ask for whatever you want me to give you. Solomon answered, You have shown great kindness to your servant, my father David, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. You have continued this great kindness to him and have given him a son to sit on his throne this very day. Now, Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David, but I am only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. So God said to him, Since you have asked for this, and not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor have asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment and administering justice, I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart, so that there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for, both wealth and honor, so that in your lifetime you will have no equal among kings. And if you walk in obedience to me and keep my decrees and commands as David your father did, I will give you a long life. Then Solomon awoke and he realized it had been a dream. He returned to Jerusalem 
stood before the Ark of the Lord's Covenant and sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. Then he gave a feast for all in his court. Now two prostitutes came to the king and stood before him. One of them said, Pardon me, my lord. This woman and I live in the same house, and I had a baby while she was there with me. The third day after my child was born, this woman also had a baby. We were alone. There was no one in the house but the two of us. During the night, this woman's son died because she lay on him. So she got up in the middle of the night and took my son from my side while I, your servant, was asleep. She put him by her breast and put my dead son by my breast. The next morning, I got up to nurse my son, and he was dead. But when I looked at him closely in the morning light, I saw he wasn't the son I had born. The other woman said, no, the living one is my son, the dead one is yours. But the first one insisted, no, the dead one is yours, the living one is mine. And so they argued before the king. The king said, this one says, my son is alive and yours is dead. While that one says, no, your son is dead and mine is alive. The king said, bring me a sword. So they brought a sword for the king. He then gave an order, cut the living child in two and give half to one and half to the other. The woman whose son was alive was deeply moved out of love for her son and said to the king, please, my lord, give her the living baby. Don't kill him. But the other said, neither I nor you shall have him. Cut him in two. Then the king gave his ruling, give the living baby to the first woman. Do not kill him. She is his mother. When all Israel had this, heard the verdict the king had given, they held the king in awe because they saw that he had wisdom from God to administer justice. The word of the Lord. Well, this is uh, this establishment of the this story of the establishment of Solomon's reign is it's a little dark. Um, this this is straight out of The Godfather, or if you're younger and into that sort of thing, straight out of Game of Thrones. Um, it's it's really complicated and dark. When when we first get here, we get David on his deathbed giving this charge to Solomon. And it starts out, it's, it's, it starts out in the vein of, of Moses and Joshua giving instructions to the people as they're passing away. You know, walk, walk uprightly before the Lord, follow his commands, and, and you will prosper. It, it starts off on a high tone, and you're like, yes, this is the story of Israel, God's chosen. Follow the word of the Lord. But then David goes, and now there's some people I need you to take care of. <laughs> so the founding acts <laughs> of Solomon's reign are a series of murders. This, this is how he gets started. Now David, because of uh, his sin with Bathsheba and, and his falling away from the Lord there, that, that came to roost in his household, and it never left. Uh, in his own lifetime, he witnessed, the rebel he witnessed one of his sons raping his half-sister, and another one of his sons killing that brother and having to flee from David. And then that son came back, and then, probably because he wasn't punished and was granted mercy, that son got kind of full of himself, and he set himself up as king over Israel, and David had to flee his son Absalom. And people were very cruel to him at that time. A lot of people were like, yeah, you know, get out of here, David. And this, this man Shammai is one of them. He cursed him as he was fleeing. But some people were very loyal and stayed with David. And eventually David was restored, and his son uh, Absalom 
was uh, put to death, uh, which just broke David's heart. He wept for his son because he, he had really loved him. So he'd had that one rebellion uh, of a son. And just before, we, we're starting this in, in chapter 2 of 1 Kings, but in chapter 1, uh, we're going to see another one of his sons, Adonijah, is also angling to make himself king while David is still alive. He does exactly what his brother Absalom had done. He got, got a, a group of 50 guys to run before him and announce, here comes, here comes Adonijah, here comes Adonijah, running before his chariot, and he's throwing feasts, and he's acting like a king. And... Uh, Actually, Joab gives him his support, and Abiathar the priest give him his support of him setting himself up as king before David's uh, dead. Now, Solomon's mother Bathsheba hears about it, and she talks with Nathan the prophet, who re remains loyal, and they, they go and tell David what's going on, and David proclaims Solomon king. So Solomon receives the throne and the kingship, and suddenly... Uh, Adonijah, who's been riding high, realizes that he's got his friends and he's been angling, but now the whole nation of Israel has heard David's proclamation, and they're all right, oh, yay, Solomon, long live Solomon. Realizes he's in trouble. He goes, grabs the horns of the altar, which is, you know, supposed to be sanctuary, and he stays there until Solomon assures him that if he's done nothing wrong, he will live. Solomon won't hurt him, so he goes home. But here we find early in the story, we have uh, Adonijah going to Solomon's mother and saying, hey, will you, there's just, will you make a request of your son for me? There's this, uh, there's this lady, Abishag the Shunammite, that, that I would like to marry. Will, will you go see? And for us, you know, if you're just coming to the story here, that, that seems kind of neutral. Yeah, he wants to marry a lady. Well, as David got old, before he passed away, he was... He couldn't keep warm at night. He was always cold. And so they found a virgin, who was Abishag the Shunammite, um, who would sleep with him and keep him warm. Now, David was past the time where anything would happen from that, and the Bible's very clear that they had no relations. But still, that was who slept with him to keep him warm. So there's symbolism there. So when Adonijah is asking Solomon's mother to, to make this request for him, he's really asking for to try and trick her into doing something that will give him legitimacy because if he married the last woman to take care of David, that's, that's like being named David's heir. And if it comes through an official channel, that's almost officially christening him the king. And Solomon realizes this is what he's asking for. And he's like, okay, I said I would spare you if you're innocent. This isn't innocent. You're actually working through my own mother to try and undermine my rule. You're going to be killed. Joab. Joab has been the commander of the armies for a while now, but he has also in the past done some things that were deeply displeasing to David. One of them is he actually murdered Abner, who was the commander of the armies of Israel. Went before David was proclaimed king, there was kind of conflict, and it wasn't, wasn't clear that he was going to become king over all of Israel. And Abner had, had been the commander of the other side, but they had made peace. And after they made peace, Joab killed Abner. Um, and he also killed Amsa, who was another commander of the forces. And uh, 
David remembered this, and he was kind of like, well, during my lifetime, I'm not going to kill you, but uh, when I go, there's, if, if you've seen The Godfather, there, there's a scene where uh, Fredo, one of the brothers, betrays the family, uh, and he gets warned, and he does it again, and uh, Michael Corleone has this thing. He's like, don't, don't touch him. You let him live, but the day my mother dies... And, and it will no longer hurt her. You go out and you kill them. That's very much what's going on here. Um, they're eliminating all these people who have, have hurt the honor of the family. And so they're, they're founding the, the reign of Solomon in murder and in death. This is not a high note. Um, and, and, of course, it ends with the, the story of Shammai who had, uh, that, that chapter ends with the story of Shammai who had hurled curses at David when he was f fleeing from Absalom. And that's kind of the, you know, in a civil war, you're, you're going to kind of pick one side and back it. And, boy, you hope those are the guys that win. Because, um, you know, history, hi history has just this great pendulum effect going back and forth. Usually it's better to just, lay low and not, not follow one side or another because sooner or later somebody else is going to be up. And Solomon tells him that, you know, because of this, you, you have to stay in Jerusalem. You know, I'm, as long as you stay in Jerusalem, I'm not going to kill you. It kind of functions like a sanctuary city like they were given in the Code of Deuteronomy, this, this kind of situation where if you'd committed a crime and you got to one of these sanctuary cities, you could stay there and live out the rest of your life there. But if you left, your life would be forfeit. And that's the situation that Solomon sets up for this man. And it says for a long time, I like this, because this is, this is the Bible telling us, giving us a biblical definition for a long time. If you've ever wondered what a long time is, it's three years. Um, that's, the Bible says it. <laughs> How much longer are you going to be? Oh, a long time. So for three years, a long time. He stays, but then two of his slaves run away, um, and he goes after and gets them. I think, you know, after three years, you might think, well, you know, nothing's happened till now. Maybe, maybe I'll, maybe it's all okay. Well, nothing happened till now because you didn't test the test the conditions. That's always the throughout history. You see this again and again. People come up with a situation, come up with a, a solution to a problem or a set of conditions to, to keep things in, in place. And people get used to those and they forget there's a reason for them. So he forgets there's a reason he's staying in Jerusalem because, well, he's never been killed yet. Um, and he goes out and, of course, the king's hitman, Benaiah, kills him. I, that's a, who becomes the commander of the king's army. And it's interesting that the first three things he does as the commander of the king's army is kill the king's enemies. Like I say, this is very much godfather kind of stuff. And that establishes Solomon's reign. We get this, this chapter of, of all these untidy ends from David's reign being tied up and ended in, in murder, which is probably not the best way to go forward. But then we get what is one of the most praised chapters in the Bible. We will talk about Solomon and his seeking for wisdom. This is going to be the high point of Israel here. This is, it is never going to get better for the kingdom of Israel than it does in the first part of Solomon's reign. 
And we get a hint of that by Solomon made an alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and marries his daughter. That's not a little thing. Up to this point in history, there have been two superpowers, the Hittites and the Egyptians. Him marrying a daughter of Pharaoh, even though it's probably not his oldest daughter and everything, but that, that marital alliance with Egypt says that Israel is a country to be reckoned with. We, will, we see later on in Kings, we're not actually going to look at it, um, but there's a chapter where we'll talk about all the other states uh, in the area become subject to Israel, just like Later on, they'll all be vassals of Assyria. Right now, they're all vassals of Solomon and Israel. This is the height of his power. He is established. He's married Pharaoh, the daughter of, of the king of Egypt. He is putting a wall around Jerusalem. He is building his palace. He's going to build a temple. And it's said that he is following everything David, his father, told him, except, except, he doesn't do away with the high places. Going forward in the history of Israel, we're going to see very quickly a civil war where it's going to split into two kingdoms. The northern kingdom, Israel, is just going to be bad from day one. And, but the southern kingdom, Judah, will be bad and good. It's got 20 kings, roughly 20 kings. Um, 12 of them are going to be idiots, and eight of them are going to do do well, do well before the Lord. But even of those eight, most of them, you're going to get to a point and they're going to go, ah, but they left the high places. There's going to be a theme over and over and over again. They're going to tolerate a little, a little compromise and it's going to bring them down. But not only does he, he um, leave the high places, but he goes to the greatest of them and he offers this massive sacrifice. The really interesting thing here is that God honors it. It's not the way God has, has asked to be worshipped, but he honors Solomon's intent. And he meets with Solomon, and he asks Solomon, and he says, what, what do you want? And Solomon says, well, I want wisdom, because I don't know how to do this. And we will talk about what a great, great choice that is. God honors it. He said, because you didn't ask for the death of your enemies, he didn't need to. He had a guy going out and killing him. Um, but that's aside the point. Because you didn't ask for the death of your enemies or wealth, I'm going to give you wealth and I'm going to make you established. And in your lifetime, there will be no king to rival you. And he gave Solomon wisdom. And Solomon had wisdom like no one before him and no one after him. Now, if you read the Bible completely and you take it seriously, I think all of us in our lives come to part of the Bible that maybe we wish wasn't there because it's challenging to us. This is one of those for me for a couple reasons. One, it's because it shows the shortcomings of wisdom and knowledge. And, um, you know, throughout most of my life, that's kind of been my strong suit, not Sam Smart, but I've, you know, I've learned a lot of things and I, I take pride in that. And this story is going to show me there's limits to that. The other thing I don't like about this story is it says there's been nobody like him before or since. And I can, I can accept that he might be smarter than Einstein, but it kind of rankles me that he might be smarter than me. Um, <laughs> but anyway, he asks for wisdom and God gives him wisdom. And he is established in his kingdom, but something happens. And we can see it here with the beginning of him marrying Pharaoh's daughter. 
he is going to go on and he is going to marry a series of wives from other, other princes. And he's doing it. He cements alliances. But they're going to lead him away. And it's going to show the limits of wisdom. Now Solomon is going to write the, the deepest descriptions of wisdom in the Bible are going to come from the pen of Solomon. In the book of, of Proverbs, um, Proverbs chapter 8, when it talks about Solomon, uh, it talks about wisdom. It talks about wisdom being the first of God's creations. That God made wisdom first and then everything else he did, wisdom was at his side when he did it. The, the wisdom is, has this picture as the greatest creation God made. Now, Greeks will actually worship wisdom. To them, wisdom is a, is, is a goddess, Sophia. Um, and, and Christians coming after and adopting Greek culture will also elevate wisdom to a very high point. As a matter of fact, one of the greatest churches uh, in the early church is in Constantinople, and it's called Hagia Sophia, which is holy wisdom. So wisdom has this great, great place is the first of all God's creation. But by itself, wisdom is not enough. Solomon has all the wisdom there is, and it doesn't keep him faithful to God. Your wisdom will never control you, will never drive you as much as your love and your affection. No matter how much you know what the right courses, what right choices are, if your heart is drawn in other ways, that's the way you're going to go. That's why addicts, even though they hate what they do and they know it's not good for them, because there is that desire in their heart, it draws them away. For good or for bad, your desires will always draw you away. And there's a reason for that. The Bible does speak of wisdom as the greatest of God's creations. But then it, when it gets to love, it doesn't say love is, is a great creation. It says, oh, no, love, that's the character of God. God is love. That's not something he made. That's his nature. So First John will tell us God is love. Paul, writing to the Corinthians, will give us the best descriptions of love. And love will always triumph over wisdom. You know, it, wisdom, the first of God's creations, but what does Paul say? Wisdom Wisdom puffs up, but love builds up. So no matter how much wisdom you have, no matter how much you know what the right things to do are, if your heart is not captured, if you're not driven by the right loves, that wisdom is in the end just going to make what happens and what your choices are the more tragic because you knew you knew what the right choices are. Solomon's not ignorant. It's not that Solomon doesn't know what God wants. It's not that Solomon doesn't know that his wives are kind of leading him away from God. It's just that's what he chooses. That's where his heart is drawn. So many, the basis of all great tragedies actually is, is people who know the right choices, but their hearts draw them to something else. So as we come to the conclusion of, of the story of Solomon's reign being established here, just, just keep that in your heart, that wisdom is not enough. 
that wisdom, as good as it is, as, as many benefits as it confers, love is greater. So now that we come to the end of the sermon, we're going to celebrate a remembrance of the greatest act of love that has uh, ever, ever happened in the history of creation. Yep. So Steve's going to come up, and we're going to take communion together.